Thank you again, worship team. Well, good morning. Good morning. This is uh, interesting for me. A little nerve wracking, but it's okay. It's all friends here, right? We love you. I love you too. All right. All right. So, I hope this week you were able to take a look at Galatians and, and read through it, pray through it, and uh, come prepared to really take a look at what we're being taught here in Galatians. Uh, we're going we're gonna to turn to Galatians 1 now, and we're going to refresh ourselves uh, after we read here, get back on track, and, and we're going to talk about Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. So, Galatians 1, verse, if you need a Bible, make sure you shoot your hand up, uh, we've got a, a some Bibles we can bring out. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. If you wouldn't mind standing if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Paul says, Galatians 1, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Lord, we pray uh, that you would open our eyes to what you have for us in this passage. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Teach us. And most importantly, change us, Lord. We don't want to walk away unchanged. We want to be more like you a little bit every day, Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So as I mentioned, we are going to look at uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. It's the second part of the first half-ish of chapter 1. Last week we looked at Galatians 1 through 5, and we saw Paul mounting a two-pronged attack, or defense, if you will, against an attack, um, that were coming from a group of Judaizers. These were men that had snuck into the church that tried to add law to the message of the cross. They tried to say, it's great that you believe in Christ, it's great that you believe he died on the cross, that's all good, but you need to add circumcision, or you need to add following the law, works, right? And so Paul had to, to defend against two fronts there because they wanted to make Paul look bad so that nobody would listen to him, but their real target was the gospel. They wanted to mess that gospel up. So Paul started off defending his uh, apostolic authority to preach the gospel. His authority was absolutely vital to ensure that people would listen to him and not the people that were coming, that said they were coming from Jesus. Right? said they were coming from the real apostles and they were convincing people otherwise. And having the authority to be believed is important. right? If you go on YouTube right now, you can pull up any sort of teaching on any sort of thing. And YouTube doesn't require that they prove their credentials. It doesn't require that they uh, show that they've studied God's word. They can just go on there and say whatever they want. Authority is important. This week, I was, I was working for a customer of mine, and, and she asked if I put fertilizer on her lawn. I said, yeah, sure, but I, I, I didn't bring my spreader thing, you know, the little thing you put your hand in, and you crank it, and it spits it out. 
I said, I didn't bring that, so I'll, I'll come back next week, and I'll do it for you. And she said, oh, no, no, no. I talked to the people at the store. I talked to them, and they sold me. Uh, it's a special spreader just for this type of fertilizer. It's, it's the best spreader for it. I said, okay, well, I'll use that one. I'm interested to see this, right? Because I have a pretty nice one, you know, because I do it all the time. So. so I went back and I looked. There was nothing special about the spreader. In fact, the spreader was one of the worst spreaders I've ever seen. Uh, it was made out of cheap plastic. It didn't, you couldn't shut it off. Fertilizer went everywhere. It would jam. So you, you would go to turn it and it would stick. And then all of a sudden it would pop and it would, it would spray fertilizer everywhere and then it would jam again. And if you know anything about fertilizer, you want that stuff to go on smooth. Otherwise you're going to have really tall grass over here and nothing over here. You have bald spots, right? You don't want bald spots. <laughs> authority is important. And that poor lady believed in the authority of whatever store she went to. And they sold her a special spreader. Paul defended his authority. He said he was coming from God, not men. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He was the authority. He was the apostolic authority. And he proved it. And then he went on in verses 3 and 4. He said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The true gospel. The real gospel. Nothing added. No additives. No hormones ever, right? I'm making chicken last night, so I don't know. Ever. Never. Right? The real gospel, no additives. Paul was defending it. And he, he started that off with grace and peace to you. And there's a reason that he says it in that order. He says grace and peace. Because you can't have peace with God without grace from God. If you have peace with God with no grace, you're deceived. Something is wrong. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.13 Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice it doesn't say whoever will call and then have a little old lady across the street. It says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the true gospel and the hope of every Christian in the world. That on that day when we close our eyes for the last time, we will be ushered into the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I like to think about it. We can't, you know, our little minds, we can't wrap what it's going to be like in heaven. There's going to be the Shekinah glory, right? The glory that followed the Israelites in the desert. It's going to be up above the, the throne there, and there's a huge sea of glass, a transparent floor. And that light's going to be reflecting off the throne and the gems and the, the streets of gold, and it's going to be glorious. And God's going to be there, and Jesus is going to be there. It's going to be amazing. But the thing that I look forward to is there won't be any more struggle there. The struggle of sin. It's going to be gone. No pain. Do you struggle with sin? 
struggle with sin. Every day. Every day. It's a battle. We're in a war. And we'll be out of the war when we make it there. To be with the one who made all of this. It's true that the creator of something is always greater than creation. Than the creation. My wife makes biscuits and gravy. They're better than anything on the planet. I'm a southern boy. Biscuits and gravy. They're so good I start drooling every time I, I start thinking about them. Like Pavlov's dog, I just start drooling. But the creator of that, those biscuits and gravy is so much better than the biscuits and gravy. Folks, this is biscuits and gravy around us right here. The creator is so much bigger and better. And this is how Paul ended when we, uh, when, what we talked about last week. Praising God, he said, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. In today's passage, we're going to be looking at Paul's response to the Galatians turning from that gospel. The gospel we just talked about, the gospel that he had preached to them, turning from the true gospel. We're going to look at three parts. First, in verses 6 through 7, we're going to look at how Paul responds to a brother in error or in sin. Next, in the last part of verse 7 through 9, we're going to look at how Paul responds to false teachers. And finally, in verse 10, we're going to take a look at Paul's position on preaching to please men or please God. Okay. So to really sink our teeth into this passage, it would be good for us to understand a little bit about the Galatian people. It's always important to understand the driving force behind sin before we try to help somebody out of it. The Galatians had things in their culture that were working against them. Now I know at this point you might be saying, oh, another history lesson. I don't come to church for history. I come to church to learn about the Bible. Well, it's important. We need to know about this history. And I'll tell you why. History affects how we understand the Bible. Context is king. We need to know who the passage was written to. We need to know when it was written. We need to know what was going on during that time that would cause them to write this. We need to know what the culture was like back then so we can fully understand what we're reading here. I'll give you an example. A weak one, but it's an example. If I said to you, the doctor prescribed Tom cigarettes for his sore throat, you would be like, yeah, what doctors out there doing that, right? Well, in the 1930s to the 1950s, the doctors prescribed cigarettes for sore throats, right? And that was primarily due to the cigarette companies going out and influencing them with cash. Um, but they did. They promoted cigarettes for sore throats, the very thing that caused the sore throats. In fact, the Surgeon's General, uh, Surgeon General's warning didn't come out until 1964 that cigarettes were bad for you, even though they knew way before that. That's an example of understanding context. The context of today is is about the Galatians. The Galatians were Gauls or Celts in origin. They were from Europe. And they came down out of Europe and they were, they were very warlike. And they came down and they went into what we would call modern day Turkey. And um, they overran Asia Minor. They pillaged Delphi. And in about 280 BC, they finally settled in the central parts um, of the area. It was called Gallio-Gracia. Um, now we call it Galatia. Then they called it Galatia. Now we call it Turkey. <laughs> They were especially feared by the Roman Empire because they sacked several Roman cities on the way. In fact, they even made it to Rome itself and sacked Rome. So they were, they were very powerful. Rome finally conquered them in about 180 BC. Their character in this epistle, though, matches with that with, with what people wrote about them during that time. Caesar commented in the, in the commentaries on the, on the Gallic War. He said, the infirmity of the Gauls is that they are fickle in their resolves and fond of change. 
not to be trusted. The French historian Augustine Derry noted that the Gauls were frank, impetuous, impressible, eminently intelligent, but at the same time extremely changeable, inconsistent, fond of show, perpetually quarreling the fruit of excessive vanity. That sound familiar to anybody? They received Paul at first with all joy and kindness, but soon they wavered in their allegiance to the gospel and to him. They hearkened as eagerly now to Judaizer, uh, Judaizing teachers as they had before. And knowing all this, knowing that the, the Celts were a changeable group, they had a hard time sticking with something, we can kind of understand Paul now. Normally, after verse 5 here, when he does his little intro there, normally in the rest of his, his books, Paul would stop and he would say, um, you guys are doing great here, or I pray for you, or I love you, or he would say all these things. He doesn't do that here. But let's look at Ephesians, just uh, the next book there, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians 1, just to get an example of what that looks like. Ephesians 1, we're going to go to verse 15. Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what it is, what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. If you turn to the next book, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you can see another example. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 1, verse 3. He's already offered, uh, he's already introduced himself, and now he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Turn again. It's a little bit further. We're going to jump over Colossians, and we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to go to verse 3. Again, he's already introduced himself. 1 Thessalonians 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. That was what Paul did in all the rest of the books. He professed his love for them. He professed what, they, what God was doing with them. But instead, in Galatians, we've got a problem. And the problem is the Judaizers. And the problem is the Galatians are following the Judaizers now. Uh, he, he says quickly in here, you are so quickly. That quickly is possibly within one to three years. So imagine uh, a preacher comes in, comes to a church, gets them all lined up, appoints elders, leaves. A year later, he's sitting there and he gets a, a text message. Hey, uh, we've added works to the cross. Can you imagine? Like I set you up. I had you all going. I loved you like little children in Christ. And so it was out of this deep love that Paul spoke to the Galatians. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He could have attacked them. He could have been like, you knuckleheads. What is wrong with you? Was I not there? We were there. 
I showed you everything. Why are you changing it now? But he doesn't. And the way he approaches it is almost in kind of a, a fatherly, like, you know, you ever do something when you were a kid and your dad's like, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Right? He's disappointed. He's disappointed in them. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. He, he, he's gentle. And he, and he gives us the reason why he's gentle in, in uh, chapter 6 of Galatians. Chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 1. He says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Gentleness. The, uh, the restore that he uses there is also used, I'm not going to go there and read it, but you, you can write it down if you want to look at it later. Matthew 4.21 and Mark 1.9 uh, use that same Greek word. And it's when Jesus was calling his disciples and he sees the disciples in the boat and they were mending the nets. And that word that he uses for restore is the same word as mending the nets. And that's how we need to approach people in sin. We need to approach people with, with a misunderstanding of the gospel. We want to mend those nets. We want to bring them back to Christ. Now, although Paul doesn't attack the Galatians, he is very clear about what they're doing. Right? He says, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Deserting is a military term. If you remember, if you turn back, I turn to Philippians 1. We went over this, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago. Philippians 1, uh, verse 27. Philippians 1, 27. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. This is a complete opposite of the Philippians, right? We talked about striving together. We talked about locking shield, right? We talked about, in Hollywood, they, they, there's, whenever there's a, a, a movie like that, it's always one guy, lock shields, and everybody goes, home, and all the shields lock together. Right? And then the enemy comes, and they hit that shield wall, and they bounce back. Right? That's, that's striving together. But Paul here says they're deserting, which is the complete opposite. It's AWOL. Right? It's, it's, remember when I told you if there was one guy in that line of shields, and he got kind of freaked out, and he dropped his shield, and he ran? That whole line would fall, because now there's a hole. And the enemy could just pour through there and get behind those shields. That's what Paul's talking about there. They're deserting the gospel. They're running away. They're turning. There's no other way to say uh, any stronger that they're turning away from the gospel. And not just turning away from the gospel. Look at, at, um, at the middle of 6 there. He says, so quickly deserting him. This is what we need to understand. When we desert the gospel, when, when, when someone deserts the gospel and goes away, it's not deserting a theology. It's not deserting an idea. It's deserting Christ. When you turn away from that, you're not saying, oh, it's in, I don't believe in that set of rules. I don't, I don't believe. You're turning away from Christ. You're saying what you did on the cross wasn't enough. It wasn't worth it. I'm going to turn my back on you, and I'm going to turn to what I do, my works, right? I want to do what I want to do, and I want you to owe me. God doesn't owe us anything. God owes us eternal damnation. 
right? We, we, we read, I read you the, the, from Romans, right? Romans wrote, we know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve death. The, the crazy part about that, and I don't want to dig too much back in there, but he says, while you were still sinners, while we were still enemies, that'd be like me jumping on a plane, flying over to, to somewhere where ISIS is, right, and dying for them. Saying, hey guys, I'm an American. You love me, right? <laughs> and then dying for them. We were enemies before we met Christ. We were ISIS before we met Christ. And he still died for us. And when we turn from that gospel, we turn our back on that. We turn our back on Christ. And he says, it's, it's a different gospel. Now, this is where um, most of you know I'm in seminary. And um, if you don't, you do now. Um, but I'm taking Greek. And the first semester of Greek, eh, it wasn't so bad. Right? Second semester of Greek, a little bit harder. Right? You have to parse verbs and figure out adjectives and what voice is this in? Uh, voice, you know, whatever. So I got I to go through and figure that out. But it's worth it because of this, right? If we look at this, he says, uh, quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. That different is heteros, right? You probably hear that heterosexual, right? Heterosexual, going for another, another of a different kind, right? That's where we get heteros. But then he says, which is really not another. And that another is haloi, I believe is how you say it, halos, right? And that is another of the same kind. So to give you an example, if I said, uh, I'm riding along and I say, uh, I want a heteros pencil, right? Then you would bring me maybe a mechanical pencil or, or even a, a pen or something, something different than the one I'm using. But if I break my pencil and I say, I want a halois pen, pencil, you bring me the same, you know, maybe it's a, a, a Timberland or whatever those, those pencils are, number two pencil, right? You would bring it the exact same. So he says, you deserted for a different gospel, a completely different gospel, right? Completely different. That's like me asking you for a pencil and you give me a truck. What am I going to do with a truck? I can't ride with a truck on a piece of paper, right? Which is really not another or not the same as the real gospel. Two different words there. My entire two semesters for that first short. <laughs> I'm joking. There's other ones. Don't worry. Not the same gospel. Not the same gospel at all. It's at this point that Paul begins to show the Galatians more grace. He backs off a little bit and he acknowledges that there are some that are disturbing them or distorting the gospel. He says, he says, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, tampering with the gospel always leads to trouble in the church. If somebody gets up here, messes with the gospel, tries to add things to it, tries to tweak it, it should trouble the church. It will trouble true Christians, right? And that's what he's saying. They're saying they're troubling you. They're troubling you. And then he continues. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Right? We talked about that last week. Damn to hell. That's what that means. Okay. Pastors get to, to swear only when they read that right there. Curse. Damned to hell. Right. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. Damned to hell. He says it the second time, not because uh, he's just ranting, but that second time 
really drives it home. It'd be like this. It'd be like, it'd be like me talking to you guys, and I would say, oh, I, I saw this guy, and he was a false preacher, and that guy should be accursed. Right? And you're like, oh, he's, he's just kind of ranting. He's ranting and raging. It would be more like this. I saw a false preacher the other guy, and that guy should be accursed. Let me say it again. That guy should be accursed. That's the difference in the way he's saying it. It's not a, it's, he's not just rambling at the mouth. He wants to drive that point home. Somebody that comes into a church, changes the gospel, and ruins the gospel, needs to get out of the church. Right? We talked about what that meant last week when, when he wanted to... Uh, wanted them to emasculate themselves, right? He was serious about this. Serious. Sometimes the church's greatest troublemakers can come within the church, though, and we need to be prepared for that. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go to verse 24. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus is talking and he's, he's preaching in parables. And in Matthew 24, Jesus presented, uh, excuse me, Matthew 13, 24, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat along with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus goes on to explain the parable, uh, verse 36 there. Verse 36, he says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said to them, The one who sows good seed is the Son of Man, Christ. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear these tares are in and amongst the believers. And it's very likely, in fact, that some of the Galatian believers were tares. Uh, tares, for those of you that aren't farmers, are, are plants that grow and they look just like wheat until they blossom. And when they blossom, you can see the kernels in the waiting wheat. It sure smells sweet. Right? That's, that's the... Uh... Is that not some? <laughs> um, the wheat, the wheat comes out, it's got berries on it. Right? But the tares grow up and they don't have that. And, it's, and you can't tell them apart. And that's what Jesus is saying. You won't be able to tell the tares apart in the church until he gets here. The thought process there is if we see somebody in the church and we say, that person's a tear, we don't know. 
You have no idea. We should be prepared. And the way that we prepare is that we listen to their theology. We listen to what they say. We look at their fruit. But the tares amongst the believers in Galatia, they were, they were leading their fellow Galatians to, at the very least, an anemic and worthless life for Christ based on the outer righteousness and not the pure heart that Christ wants. At the very worst, if they made it to people before they were saved, they were actually teaching things that would end that believer up in hell as opposed to heaven. The heaven they thought they were assured of. How much do you have to hate someone to send them to hell? Think about that for a second. Eternal damnation. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our brains can't wrap around eternity. We can barely wrap around a couple years, but eternity, forever, weeping and gnashing of teeth. How much would you have to hate someone to send them there? Perhaps some do it out of ignorance. Perhaps some are demonically influenced. But either way, Paul pronounces an anathema on them. Let them be cursed. We have people like this today. Uh, in the Mormon church, right? Go back to go back to Galatians. I'll go back to Galatians, right? He says, uh, "Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel." But even if we or an angel from heaven, in the Mormon church, they believe that an angel named Moroni came and talked to Joseph Smith and revealed to him ancient texts that had been hidden for fifteen hundred years on golden plates written by uh, a Native American historian. And it was all about a, a group of Jews that lived in the United States somehow. And, and they based their Mormonism off of that. It is a completely heretical religion that doesn't uh, talk about the Trinity. They believe there's uh, the Trinity is different people. It doesn't acknowledge that Satan is Christ's uh, brother. Um, there are three levels to heaven. <clears throat> Really, really, really good Mormons that give a lot of money yeah. go to the first heaven. heaven. <laughs> Everybody else that's righteous works. goes to a, a second heaven, and then there's a third heaven that's just kind of like bleh. Right? It's like, uh, I don't know, going shopping at Kohl's on a Wednesday afternoon. That's, that's the third heaven. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a good uh, <laughs> lineup for that one. If anyone including an angel. I don't think Paul was talking about it, you know, I don't think he was really thinking of an angel when he said that. I think Paul was exaggerating, right? If anyone, even an angel, comes and says this, let them be accursed. But here you go, a couple thousand years later, here's an angel. Right? Now do I believe that an actual angel, well, I don't know. I don't think it was an angel from God. You know how I know that? Because the, the Book of Mormon goes against everything in the, the Christian Bible. Let them be accursed. There are others. There are others that we have to protect ourselves from. And, and more importantly, we have to protect those around us. Because these people write books. And people read those books and they're like, oh, this is so amazing. This is so good. Right? We talked about a book last week. It deceives people. We talked about circle makers last week, right? This week, I want to talk about a pastor. He's a mega church pastor. I'm not going to name him. You guys will probably figure it out, but... Um, he's from Texas, has a Sunday attendance of about 10,000 people. Meets in an NBA arena. 10,000 people that go through there. 
He preaches a false gospel. Maybe some of you know who Larry King is, the Larry King Live Show. Larry King had him on his, on his show. And, and I watched the clip. This, I'm going to read a, a, just a part of the transcript from that show, but I watched the whole thing. And down at the bottom it says, Christianity is going to be greater than it's God. Who rises last? You all smile. You probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to say anything. I'm sorry. Larry King had him on his show, and King said, is it hard to lead the Christian life? And the pastor said, I don't think it's that hard. To me, it's fun. We have joy and happiness. Our family, I don't feel like that at all. I'm not trying to follow a set of rules or something. I'm just living my life. And King says, but you have rules, don't you? And the pastor said, well, we do have rules, but the main rule to me is to honor God with your life. To live a life of integrity. Not to be selfish works. You know, help others works. But that's really the essence of the Christian faith. <clears throat> King, that we live in deeds? The pastor, I don't know. Uh, what do you mean by that? King, because we've had ministers on who said, your records don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, you ain't. Pastor, yeah, I know. I, I don't know. There's probably a balance between. I believe that you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. I think that's a cop-out to say I'm a Christian, but I don't do anything. King says, but what if you're Jewish or Muslim? You don't accept Christ at all. You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and would not go to heaven. I don't know. If King says, if you believe, you have to believe in Christ. They're wrong, aren't they? Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe, here's what the Bible teaches. And from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God can judge a person's heart. I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about that religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. So I don't know. <laughs> I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with you. This type of gospel is false and should be removed from any consideration as Christians. It is a damnable offense. The, if the first thing out of the pastor's mouth when someone asks, can you go to heaven without Jesus, is I'm very careful about that. I don't know. Fire him. Remove him. Get him out of there. Don't let him influence anybody else. And do everything you can to make sure he understands the error of his ways. <laughs> if a church member should say something like that, it is time to come alongside that believer with all humility and grace and restore that brother or sister to correct understanding of the gospel. Amen. For as it says in James 5, verses 19 through 20, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, 
Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is not a popular, a popular thing to say these days. Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. One of the most controversial statements that you can make today is the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Go to any college campus, write that on the sign, and stand there and see what happens. The tolerant will become very intolerant very quickly. It's not a popular message. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He said, Man, there's 30,000 religions out there. How do you think yours is right? Right? We should expect it, though. Go back to Matthew real quick. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, uh, verse 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, Behold, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep amidst wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But this is the one, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Not a popular message. Nor should it be. Christ told us it wouldn't be. Our message is not going to be liked throughout the world. It will be attacked and maligned over and over and over again. It is our response to the false teachers and to those who are misled that can make the difference. Turning some back to Christ and not backing down from those that would ruin the gospel is what Paul fought and died for. The question is, and always has been, will we do the same? 